James. Turn your Bible back in the book of James. And, and again, James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book on wisdom. There's nuggets of wisdom all throughout the book of James. And we've seen some great wisdom, godly wisdom, as we've gone through this book so far. We've seen wisdom, wisdom for how to deal with trials in life. Consider it all my joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. And we saw that, that trials are just a testing of our faith and actually produces maturity and completeness in our lives. And then we've also seen wisdom as we've gone through James chapter 1. We saw wisdom in temptations. How do you overcome temptations? And we saw how to deal with that and how to win against temptations. And then we saw wisdom also in regards to our interaction with one another. How do you have relationships that are healthy in wisdom? Well, you're going to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We've seen wisdom in regards to our faith. Because a faith without works is it's dead. And so we've seen we've got to be working out our faith. We've got to be living what we say we believe if we're going to live in wisdom. Because again, what, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the skill in living right, in living a godly life. It's, it's not just the knowledge of having the right knowledge up here. It's having a heart that's been changed so you're living out what you're learning. That's wisdom. It's, a, it's an application of understanding and knowledge where you're living out and you're applying what you know up here. That's wisdom. And there's a skill involved with that. And so we've been learning these skills as we go through the book of James because it's all about wisdom. And I love the two books on wisdom in the Bible. James, New Testament, Proverbs, basically, on wisdom. Nuggets all throughout the book. But then the book of Proverbs, too. Because that goes all the way back to a guy by the name of Solomon. And I've been teaching Proverbs on Facebook Live, and it's been fun for me to revisit Proverbs as we're going through James because the books complement one another. But remember the author of Proverbs, right? Solomon. He was a king. And his dad, who's, who is Solomon's dad? King David. The greatest king that Israel had ever seen. King David. A man after God's own heart. And Solomon, after his dad died, was put in the place of royalty of being the next king. And Second Chronicles chapter 1 says, what Solomon did was he had time with God, and God appeared to him in 2 Chronicles 1, and God did this. God said, hey, whatever you ask, I'll give to you. Can you imagine that? I'm mean, talking about blank check here. God says, whatever you ask, I'll give to you. Remember what Solomon asked? He said, God, I just want wisdom. I want, just like my dad, King David, had. I want, in going out and coming in and going out with God's people, I, I, got big, I got big shoes to fill here, God, so I, want, I, want, I need wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'll not only give you wisdom, and he went on to be the wisest man in the world at the time, I'll not only give you wisdom, I'll give you all the other stuff too, riches, honor, fame, whatever, all that's going to be yours, because you asked for wisdom. You know, James chapter 1 verse 5, if you remember, said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And it'll be given to you generously and without reproach. That's a promise of God. And so as we, as we get into this scripture on wisdom, let's pray right now. Let's pray that God will give us more wisdom. More wisdom for our marriages. More wisdom for our parenting. More wisdom for our work. More wisdom for being the Christians we're supposed to be in a witness in a world that's dark. Let's just pray for that right now. Let's pray. Father, as we go into your word today and study this topic, an important topic of wisdom, we ask. We ask for more wisdom, God. We ask that you'd give it to us gener- generously and without reproach, Lord. Father, we need more wisdom for our families, for our kids, for our marriages, for our work, for our witness. 
So grant us more wisdom today through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. James chapter 3. Let's turn to it this morning. We're going to learn about wisdom this morning from the, from the brother of Jesus, the, the apostle James. Wonderful scripture this morning, again, on wisdom. If you're there, James chapter 3 and uh, verse 13, say amen. Okay, let's just read this section. Then we're going to go back and dig. Verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of, here it is, what, what? Wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. But here's the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is first what? It's pure, then peaceable, and then gentle, and then reasonable, and then full of mercy, good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in, notice, peace by those who what? Make peace. And so here's a contrasting going on here between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Wisdom of the flesh and what's street smart out there in the world and wisdom of the spirit, which is from God and from the word of God and from Jesus Christ himself. And the two are, we're gonna see this morning, are really contrary to one another. There's a lot of people in the world that are living by their flesh and living by the wisdom of the streets and it's not from God, it's from the world. And then there's other people that are walking in the spirit and they're living in godly wisdom. We're gonna see the contrast this morning. So the first thing about godly wisdom, go back to verse 13, is who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. The first thing we see about godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom is godly wisdom will be evidenced by good behavior and deeds. We see that all throughout the book of James. Again, a faith without works is dead. And don't just say you're a Christian. Live out with good behavior and good deeds because your deeds back up your profession, and if you're really living it out, people are going to see that you have wisdom and godly wisdom. And notice, Jesus didn't say, speak a witness. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall, notice, be a witness. And a part of living in witness, as a witness for Christ, is you're living out what you, what you say you believe in. Your profession matches your behavior, and that's wisdom, right? And it's interesting, deeds are important. Remember uh, in First John it says, don't just uh, let it be with word or tongue, but with, let, it, let your Christianity be in deed and truth. And that's part of giving godly wisdom. You're living it out. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, what? The new has come. Good behavior and deeds. That's the first part of wisdom is you're living out what you're learning and you're living a new life in Christ. But now look, let's look at what worldly wisdom is. Street smarts. The flesh wisdom. Look, look what it says. But if you have bitter jealousy, verse 14, and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant. Notice fleshly wisdom. And so lie against the truth. This wisdom of the world is not that which comes down from above, but it's what? Earthly, natural, and what? Demonic. Wow. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder in every evil thing. So we see, first of all, some of the fruits of worldly, street smart, fleshly wisdom. The fruit is 
Hey, it's bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance, lying against the truth, the fruit of living in worldly wisdom, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every evil thing. Does that kind of sound like Monday morning work for some of y'all? does, doesn't it? You know, all these people, and I remember before coming to Christ, 40 plus years ago, I remember I was on this track of worldly wisdom. I grew up in Chicago, and worldly wisdom in Chicago is, hey, look out for number one. Worldly wisdom in Chicago is, hey, do whatever feels good, do it. Worldly wisdom is, hey, if I have to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up the steps of success, and if I have to step on people to get to the top of, of success, we're going to step on some people. That's worldly wisdom. It causes chaos and disorder and a lack of peace and selfish ambition, and arrogance, and problems. Are we seeing that in our world right now, or what? It's the flesh. It's just worldly wisdom. But what's, what's the source of just this worldly wisdom? Go back. First of all, it says it's earthly. Earthly, what does earthly mean? It's of the world. In question, who's the God of this world? It's Satan. Second Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God of this world is also the prince of the power of the air. Flip, or Ephesians 2, 2 says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. That's, that's the God of this world. Hey, if you doubt that, just turn on the media. No, it's, it's crazy. The, 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 it's how everything's so twisted, even in our media, because the prince of the power of the air is Satan himself. And so that's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As Christians, if we're going to live in godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom, we're not going with the flow of the world. We're not going with the course of this world because it's, 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 it's wrong. And you know what? Way too many Christians today are just going with the current. Going with the flow, trying to be politically correct. I don't care about being politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. I want to stick with what the Word of God says and not what the rest of the world says. Because most of the rest of the world is wrong. And so it's earthly. Worldly wisdom is earthly, but also worldly wisdom, it says there is natural. What does it mean, natural? King James Version, if you have it, it's translated sensual. It means being subject to your passions and to your flesh. And that's what the world says. Hey, Wisdom of this world is, hey, hey, whatever feels good, what? Do it. Go for the gusto. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Hey, if you're not happy, do whatever it takes to be happy. Just fulfill your flesh. They live in what they call hedonism, which is the God of pleasure. But here's the problem with that. The problem is you live by your flesh, you live by pleasure, you live by just satisfying whatever feels good, that pleasure turns to pain, and that pain turns to imprisonment. You want to ask somebody about that? Wait till you get to heaven and ask King David. King David one time was walking on the roof of his palace. He was in a midlife crisis. He had sent everybody to war, but he stayed back. He had, he had everything the world says to be happy, and he, didn't, wasn't, he was restless. And then he looked down from his palace, and he saw this lady who appropriately was named Bathsheba, taking a bath. And he lusted after her, and he told the soldiers, come, bring her to my palace. And he fulfilled the passions of his flesh and had adultery with her. 
And then after, she, after we had adultery, she got pregnant. And after she got pregnant, he brought back his, his mighty man, Uriah, who was his, her husband, and brought, her, brought him back because he was trying to cover it up to get him to sleep with her so it could be all covered up. And he refused because he was a man of honor. And there's soldiers dying out there. He said, I'm not going to go home and have all this pleasure in my life. I'm going to stay outside and I'm going to go back to war. So David said, okay. Called Joab, his general, and said to Joab, he said, hey, put him at the front of the line so he gets killed. And he got killed. David covered the whole thing up. And then he married Bathsheba to cover the whole thing up. And then after that, he wrote a psalm talking about because of living by subject to his flesh and his passions and because of his sin, it says his bones ached. He was miserable until Nathan, the prophet, came to him and said, gave him this whole story and brought conviction of sin to his life, and he repented. And then after he repented, he wrote a great psalm, Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And here's the good news. If we get trapped into living in the flesh and making mistakes in our flesh and living by our passions, there's always a God in heaven who, according to the scripture, is rich in mercy, rich in grace. And according to the prodigal son parable, as soon as we repent and we come home and we get things right with him, he comes running towards us with open arms and he loves us back into his family. And that's the good news. Our God is rich in grace. And his grace is sufficient to cover every stupid thing we do. But the Bible says, when we get away from godly wisdom and live in our flesh like that, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, and then he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible makes it very clear. God is quick to forgive. He's full of grace, full of mercy. But we got to get things right with him sometimes and confess our sins and receive his cleansing and get back and walk with God in godly wisdom. The righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. And that's godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom. Notice the third thing it says about worldly wisdom. It's not only sensual, it's not only earthly, but worldly wisdom also is satanic. It says right there in the scripture, it's demonic. What's the source of the street smarts out there? What's the source of living in the flesh? It's Satan himself. He is, he is the God of this world. He wants to blind us in our flesh and disobedience and get us to live in the world's, world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. It's demonic. Satan himself. Now, let's get off the worldly wisdom. Let's get on the godly wisdom. What's godly wisdom? Go back. Look at that verse. It's a whole laundry list of what godly, godly wisdom is. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first what? Pure. What does that mean? means we got a holy God who wants us to be holy like him. We have a God that says, imitate me. Be holy because I am holy. And you know what? He's not saying if you want to be wise, you've got to be perfect. We're not, none of us are going to be perfect. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to do stupid things because we have a stupid flesh that's bent towards evil. But here's the deal. If you want to live in godly wisdom, you're pursuing holiness if you want to live in godly wisdom, you're a person, according to Matthew 6.33, that's going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things onto you. If you want to be a godly, wise person, you're going to be a person that says, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. And, I, and then he's going to give me the desires of my heart. I remember I, I learned this experientially when I first came to Christ. 
I remember the first six months of walking in a close, born-again relationship with, with Jesus. I remember, I, experientially, I learned the importance of purity because I remember when I, when I, when I <coughs> continued to seek first his kingdom and righteousness as a new Christian, I just grew closer and closer in my relationship with Christ. And then I remember going back to some worldly ways as a brand new Christian and making some mistakes and going into some backslidness and some disobedience. And even though I knew I was forgiven by God's grace, I knew the cross had covered my sin, there was a, there was a distancing in that relationship with God because of my disobedience. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They're going to have an intimacy with God because of the purity that's in their life. Now, again, our purity and our godliness and our holiness doesn't save us. It doesn't get us right with God. We're justified by faith, and thus we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But our relationship and our intimacy with God is enhanced by our purity. Because when we're not living in purity and godly wisdom in that way, what happens? We grieve God's Holy Spirit. We quench God's Holy Spirit. And there's a distancing in that relationship. So one of the things that should be motivating us towards living in purity as godly, wise Christians is we want to stay close to Jesus. We don't want to grieve His Holy Spirit. We don't want to have that distancing from Jesus that happens through disobedience. And godly wisdom says, I want, to, I want to cling to Jesus and stay as close to him as possible. And that happens through having purity in our lives. And so purity, that's godly wisdom. And then also it's peaceable. The word there for peaceable can literally be translated peace-loving. Now godly, wise people pursue peace. Why? Because Jesus was the prince of Peace. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14. I love this. He says, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be uh, fearful. Then Ephesians 4, 3 says, We're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And what? The bond of peace. It takes works to work to stay at peace with people. But wise people say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be peaceable. And one of the wonderful things, the fruits of living in godly wisdom, is we have peace with God. We have more peace with others. And just the opposite is true, too. When we get in the flesh and we're subject to our passions, as we've seen here in James, disorder, chaos, all kinds of craziness. And you know what I'm talking about, because that kind of describes probably work on Monday morning for some of y'all. You go to work, and it's just crazy, because everybody's living in the flesh. But you get around Christians that are serious about living for Christ, and there's peace with God, there's peace with others. And that's why Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Peace. I like peace. Peace. I love peace. Shalom in the Hebrew, peace. And I remember when I was in the seminary and I was just pursuing ministry and I remember meeting this guy, his name was Frank. It was an interesting guy because he was a person of peace. You could just see it. You know how some people, you could just sense God's peace on their life? Frank was that way. And Frank was interesting because most of us were in our 20s in seminary, going to graduate school, going into the mission field or in the ministry. But Frank was a little bit different because Frank was in his 50s. He was in school still. And I remember having some interaction with him on the campus and him walking through the campus with his wife and some of, his, some of his kids, and he had a, even a teenager at the time. And I just saw peace, not only in Frank's life, but I saw peace in his family. There was just this prevalence of peace in his marriage, 
and his kids and his relationship with the kids. I go, this guy's got it, man. He's got peace. So I sat down with him one time outside the cafe at Florida Seminary, and I, and I said, Frank, tell me, tell me your story, man. I want to learn more about you. And Frank said, well, my story is um, I was Catholic, and then as a Catholic, I really didn't take my faith seriously, and so I went into the business world, started making a lot of money, and making a lot of money, I started having stress. I started drinking. I became an alcoholic. I said, Really? can't even see that right now, but yeah, really. And he goes, and, and not only that, I got to the point where I was just about to ruin my whole family. I was on divorce court steps, he said, and so I started drinking more, and it got to the point that I, I got alcohol poisoning one night. They had to call an ambulance, and they had to rush me to the hospital because I was about to die from poisoning myself with alcohol. And then he said this, right after that, I met Christ. He came into my life, and he set me free. And I got saved, born again. And not only did I get saved, but I, I, I led my wife and my kids to Christ too. They all got saved. Then after they got saved, he said, my marriage got saved. And we started having peace. And then he said, and then God called me into the ministry. Of all people, he called me into the ministry. So I quit my job and I came to seminary and I, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor now. I go, no wonder I see such peace on your life. You know how some people just emanate peace? And he had it because he had Christ. And he wasn't living in the flesh anymore in worldly smarts or passions or pleasure. He was living in Christ and the Spirit of God, and there was peace there. Godly wisdom is peaceable. brings peace. Amen? Godly wisdom also, it says is not only pure and peaceable, it's gentle. What's gentle? It's strength under control. Literally, the word means the same word when you take a stallion that has all this muscle and strength, and he gets under a master's control, and the master has reins, and he could, could lead that stallion, 100 pounds of, hundreds of pounds of muscle could lead that stallion in the direction it's supposed to go. And if you're living in godly wisdom, your strength is going to be under God's control, the master's control, so you're being led by the Lord. And your strength is under his control, and you're led by his reins, because you trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways you acknowledge him, and then he directs your path. That's wisdom. Being led by the master, Jesus, and his will. And Jesus, Jesus lived this out, by the way. Even though he was God in the flesh, he was led, he was gentle. His strength was under the Father's control, because he said, even about the cross, let your will be done, not my will be done. And he said this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and you'll find rest for your souls for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus, his strength was under the Father's control and he tells us in his word now, wisdom says, I'm gonna get under the control of my master Jesus and the Father and I'm gonna be led by him and there's wisdom in that. The wise person with godly wisdom is led by the master and your strength is under his control. And then it also says, the wise, godly, living above wisdom kind of person is reasonable. And go, oh boy, with our country going the way it's going right now, we need more reason going on. Our God is a God of reason. Did you know that? Isaiah 118 says, come, let us reason together. Even though your sin is as scarlet, hey, you could be white as snow. You need to be reasonable. What does it mean to be reasonable? We're open to reason. And not only open to reason, we're teachable. We're humble. We're going to listen to the input of other people. 
And if, if necessary, we're going to be corrected and receive reproof because we're reasonable. <laughs> oh, boy, this week was an interesting week for me. I, had some, I have some high school friends that are just way out there in this whole mess that we're going through with our country right now. And I specifically, I had this one high school friend who I'm friends with on Facebook for the last several weeks, and it just amped up this week because she just put all this stuff out on Facebook and just totally profanity, obscenity, everything else about our president. And I just zipping my lips. I'm not going to get into that mess. And, but it, it reached a real level this week where I just said, i, I got to say something to this old high school friend of mine that's just using words I haven't heard in years. I mean, she put it on Facebook. And I, said, I, I responded back, and I said, you know, I, I, I know you got some issues with our president. And I said, honestly, I said, i got some issues too. I think there's some character issues there, issues of arrogance, issues of pride, issues of being mean, issues of, of, of immorality in his past. I, I get that. But then I just kind of put out there, but I think there's issues on both sides. And I said, and by the way, this person that you're supporting and you're publicly supporting, your, your candidate, just as far as I could tell, just in the last week made a real racist comment. And if I was in that race, so when he told me I had to do, if I didn't vote for him, I wasn't really a part of that race, I would never vote for him just because of that. And it was like throwing a match on gasoline. Boom! I couldn't believe it. I haven't heard swear words, and not just towards the president, but towards me in my whole long time. And so I just left alone, backed off. I said, I, got into, I don't want to be involved in this. And my flesh was starting to get pulled. I backed off for about two days. And then the ranch just kept going on for like two days. And it wasn't just her. It was other high school friends from Chicago. And, I, and, and, and then, she, then, then she really got me because she, she said this. She said, how could you be a pastor and a man of God and, 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 and vote for a person like that? And then I made the mistake. I responded. <laughs> and I said, well, how could you with the president a couple times ago who, who had an, because she was bringing up all his immorality and stuff. I said, how can you uh, with, vote for a president a couple times ago that, that basically was immoral with a White House intern who was in her 20s and then lied to the whole country about it? Boy, I shouldn't have done that. But here's what I was trying to do. I was trying to just bring some reason into this thing and say, hey, there's issues on both sides of the fence here. Both sides, both candidates have issues. And let's just be honest about it. And it's like, and then the whole reasoning thing went out the window because the person that did that a couple terms ago, basically, that was his own personal issues. It shouldn't have brought up. And if your personal issues were brought up too, you'd lie about it too. I'm going, double standards. No reason going on here. But that's, that's where we need to back off sometimes. And, and I need to, I, 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 after that, by the way, I didn't post anything else after that. I'm, I'm done. And I was being baited for the last two days to post more stuff. No, I'm done. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Reason. Let's be reasonable people. And let's be open to correction. I'm going to start, see both sides of it. I want to be open to correction. I want to be reasonable. I want to receive reproof and listen and be open to listening to things and make the appropriate changes. Input's important. And if we're living in godly wisdom, we'll be open to input no matter who the people are. Amen? Amen. And so reasonable. Let's stay reasonable. <clears throat> and then it also says, hey, this is it, godly wisdom. Full of mercy and good fruits. Good fruits, full of mercy. Why do we need to be full of mercy as God's people? 
because God is full of mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 says God is rich in mercy and he's rich in grace. What's mercy? Mercy is having empathy for people that are hurting, afflicted, and even sinful. And God has empathy. He has compassion on us when we're hurting, when we're afflicted, and we're even sinful. He still loves us. and He has empathy for us. We need to do the same. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, because by the standard which you judge other people, you'll be judged too. And I don't know about you, but I need grace. And so I need to be a person of grace. I need mercy, so I need to be a person of mercy. And that's a part of living in wisdom, is we're gonna be gracious and we're gonna be merciful towards people, especially if they're afflicted, especially if they're struggling, especially if they're sinful. Show some mercy towards them. Because listen, if you don't show mercy to people and you're judgmental and you're condemning and you're coming down to people that are especially people that are afflicted or hurting and sinful, here's what's gonna happen. When you're hurting, afflicted, and sinful, whatever you sow to them will be sown back to you. And I want mercy, mercy, mercy. Let's be people of mercy, amen? Amen. Jesus was a person of mercy. He had such empathy. He had such love. He had such such compassion for a woman with seven demons, Mary Magdalene, for a leper that was afflicted with disease and sickness that was killing him, for, for people that were struggling and lost. The Bible says he was a friend of sinners. Blessed are the merciful they shall receive mercy. And then it goes on and says, also a part of living wisdom is unwavering without hypocrisy. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make, again, peace. Hey, the last thing that's on the list for wisdom, you ain't gonna be a hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite is? According to the word, Greek word right there, an actor. And in the Greek plays at the time when this was written, they had actors for every scene, and some of the same actors would play different roles. And they had these little sticks with a mask on it, and what they would do is, uh, one scene, they'd have a stick where they're the bad guy, but it's the same person. And then another scene, they'd grab another mask, and they'd go over here, and they're the good guy, another person. Another scene, they're the person that's causing all kinds of problems with this mask. And then the next scene, they come over, this is the person that's uh, solving all the problems. You get the picture I'm trying to draw here? It says that if you're living in godly wisdom, you're not going to be a fake or phony, and you're not going to have all these masks pretending to be something that you're not. Okay, it's okay to wear a mask if the virus thing is bugging you still, but, but this is different here. It says as Christians, we don't wear a mask of pretending to be something that you're not. As Christians, we need to be people that are real, that are be authentic, that aren't pretending to be all this and you're not all that. Now, I try to practice that somewhat because I'm a sinner just saved by God's grace. And I, I, one of the things I try to do when I'm even teaching you guys is share some of my struggles. And I don't know if you've heard me say this line before. I'll about to say it 100, I've said it 100 times. I'll say it 100 more times. I'm just one beggar showing the other beggars where their bread's at. Because I don't want any of you to think I got it all together. Because I don't. I'm just a struggling sinner just like you guys are, saved by God's amazing grace in the process of being made different by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm still a struggling saint, and I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not, and I don't want Calvary Chapel Christians to pretend to be something you're not too. Let's be the real deal, amen? Let's not be a bunch of people that aren't admitting that we got issues and we got problems, and we got struggles like everybody else, but we're in the process of seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, yeah, but we still struggle. 
And I'm going to keep doing that as a pastor, too, because I don't want you to put me on any pedestal up here because I'm going to fall off that pedestal, and I want you to be disappointed because I'm going to make mistakes just like you make mistakes because I got issues and you got issues, and if you say you don't have issues, that's an issue because we all struggle. And let's, let's be real. Let's be without hypocrisy. Struggling saints that are in the process of being made more like Jesus that are saved by God's amazing grace. Amen? Amen. So what do we learn about this morning? We learn about wisdom. So here's my question in closing. Do you want more wisdom? Do you want more wisdom for your marriages? Do you want more wisdom for your parenting, your kids? Do you want more wisdom for your jobs and decisions to be made? Do you want more wisdom for your personal life so you could be a witness for Jesus Christ in a dark world? Do you want more wisdom? Yes. Do I get an amen on that? Amen. We all want more wisdom, don't we? All right, so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's three sources for wisdom. The first so- source is Jesus Christ himself. Colossians 2.3 says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians 2.3. So you want more wisdom? Keep growing in that abiding relationship with Jesus because he's the source. He's where the treasures of wisdom are found. Keep growing in your relationship with Christ. Keep seeking him. Keep clinging to him. Keep having daily prayer times where you get in the word and you pray and you seek his wisdom and claim his promise that if you lack wisdom, he'll give it to you generously with our approach. Claim that promise and ask him for wisdom in those areas you need wisdom. And Jesus is the source for wisdom. Here's the second source of wisdom. God's word. You've got to have a life that's being inundated with God's word because this is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. To have a life that's you're growing in God's word because 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul talking to the young pastor said this, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What gives us wisdom? The scriptures. Be a person of the word. This is where you're going to find wisdom right here. Keep in the word of God and let it be a lamp on your feet and a light on your path. The third, third source for wisdom, it's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is our helper. It's our counselor. And as you live a spirit-filled life, the Holy Spirit will guide you into wisdom. And as you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, as the Holy Spirit guides you and you live a spirit-filled life, you will You'll live in the, in the spirit rather than in the flesh. And what does it mean to live in the spirit? Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another. It's in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Live a spirit-filled life. It'll give you more wisdom.